a lot of different themes that we see in John, just certain words and ideas that he's just replaying over and over again in different ways. And so one of those themes is this idea of witness. And, and that's a pretty prominent theme here in our passage today. So we're going to be focusing in on that. And, and so the main thing that I hope that you guys will walk away with today is just what does it mean to be a witness and how do we bear witness? What are we bearing witness to? Um, but as we start, I just want to ask you guys, you guys can share, just speak out, share some answers with me. But what comes to mind when you think of witness? What does that bring up for you? A trial, yeah, so kind of in a, a legal sense. Mm -hmm. LeBron James, okay, I don't get that reference. Okay, maybe maybe some of you get that, LeBron James. <laughs> Experience, okay. A crime, yeah, again, kind of thinking about that legal sense. Yeah, we sometimes think about it as witnessing a crime, witnessing even a car accident, and then sharing about that. Um, does it bring up anything when you kind of think about it in the context of religion and faith? Anything that kind of stands out in that way? Mm -hmm. So sharing sharing about your faith, being told that you're supposed to witness to people, tell them what you believe, right? All right, so just, just kind of keep that in mind. We're gonna, be, we're gonna be coming back to this idea of witness. Um, but as I wanna just kind of set up our story here. Um, in, in chapter five, it follows the pattern of a lot of the first half of the gospel where Jesus does some kind of sign or he makes a claim and then there's some type of controversy or disagreement that, that comes up. And so in chapter 5, in the, the first part of the story, the sign that he does here is he's healing a man um, who was crippled, who'd been crippled for 38 years. And we're not going to read this part of the story, but I just wanted to kind of set it up and, and uh, give you guys some context here. And so Jesus has, has told this man, he healed him simply by saying, get up, take your mat, and walk. Um, and he does that. And th this happens to be on the Sabbath. And so the man, as he's walking away carrying his mat, um, some of the Jewish leaders come up to him and they confront him because that was considered work, that he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. According to their rabbinical codes, not necessarily according to the Torah, but according to the, the laws that they had set up around the laws, he's breaking the Sabbath because he's carrying his mat. Um, and then when they find out that it's Jesus that healed him, they go to Jesus and they confront him because they're saying that he has also broken the Sabbath by healing someone on the Sabbath. And so Jesus' response to them is that my father is working, and so I'm working too. And now this statement made them really angry because they understand that in him saying that, that God is his father, that he's making himself equal with God. And they didn't like that. It made them angry enough that it says they're seeking to kill him. And so this is where we're going to pick up in the story. And Jesus begins this, this monologue um, from verses 19 to 47. It's his response to the Jewish leaders. Five, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes me, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we see here in this part of of Jesus' speech that um, there's this idea that that believing in Jesus leads to eternal life. It's that same idea that we've already seen in John, and in John's when Jesus was having the conversation with Nicodemus, and he said, you know, in the famous verse of John 3.16, that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so it how we understand this statement right here means to believe Jesus and have eternal life, that is going to affect the way that we bear witness, what we're bearing witness to. You know, for me for for a lot of my life, I understood that just in the simplistic way of you know, if I, if I make this declaration that, that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, then I get to heaven after I die. Like, that's how I understood the gospel message. And, and I think that a lot of times in the church, that, that can be how it's portrayed. Um, but I think that what we've seen is that sometimes when, when we just have that very simplistic view of the gospel, it can lead to bearing witness in a way where you're just to convince people to believe like you do. Um, and, and where the, the, main, the main priority is to save souls. And so no matter what you do to kind of get to that point, then you're okay. And it led to a Christianity that looks very little like Christ. It led to um, colonization in the, same, in the name of saving souls. It has led to a church that aligns itself with power rather than seeking to love the poor and the oppressed like Jesus did. And so I'm not saying that everybody who has this simplistic view of, of that statement is, is going to go there, but I think it's very easy to, to kind of draw that line and to get to that place. And so I think that, that we even cheapen the gospel when we make it just about saying the right words in order to get to heaven. And now it, it is important to believe Jesus as my Savior. And I do believe that there is, you know, there's something after this life that, that we can look forward to. But I think it's important to broaden our understanding of because how we understand belief and eternal life is going to affect the way that we witness, the way that we bear witness and what we're bearing witness to. And so I want to look first at, at what it means to believe and even what Jesus and, and the Jewish people in his time, how they would have understood that term belief. Because it was more than just head knowledge. But belief is embodied in a person's actions. It says in James 2, verses 14 to 17, what do you 
my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, what we believe is displayed in the way that we live. Right? It's, it's, it's one thing to say that I believe that all humans are created in the image of God. But if I truly believe that, then I'm going to treat everyone with dignity and respect. If I truly believe that God is a God of abundance, then I'm going to be generous with what I have. And if I truly believe that Jesus is my Lord, then I am going to live my life in the way that I see him living, the way that he commanded and modeled for us. We see Jesus in verse 19 about doing what he sees his father doing, right? And it's the same for us. If we believe what it says at the beginning of John's gospel, when it says the word was with God and the word was God, the word was made flesh, and that this is Jesus, then we will live as he saw us living. This is how we experience that eternal life. It's interesting that, that John, John talks about this idea of eternal life a lot throughout, um, throughout the gospel. The other gospels don't actually use that term very much. They just use it a couple times. What they talk about more often is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so as we think about this idea of eternal life or entering into an eternal life, that can be used interchangeably with what it means to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not just something that we come to after we die. But we see even here in this passage where there's, there's this tension of the now and not yet. We see in verses 24 to 25 where it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so here we see that Jesus is saying, if you believe, you already have this eternal life. And we see this, this tension where he says, an hour is coming and is now here. And right? He, he goes on to kind of develop this idea of like, yes, there's, there's going to be this resurrection that is to come. There's something more that's coming, but there's this hour is here right now. Even before Jesus died, he's right there in this you can experience this eternal now as I'm speaking to you. Later on in, in John, in verse 17, 3, he says, um, as Jesus is, is praying to the Father before he dies, um, Jesus kind of talks about eternal life in this way. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The eternal life is in the knowing, in the relationship with God and being in his loving presence. And this idea, I think, is developed a little bit more in, um, in one of John's letters that he writes. First um, John 16, it says, So we have come to know and the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So this is what it means to eternal life, to be in this to, to live in this um, loving relationship with God and, and in such a way that we are receiving and giving love. And so there is this hope that we're going to experience 
this life, we're going to experience the being in God's loving presence at some point in the future. And it's going to be beautiful, but we're able to experience this right now as well. And that's what we're invited into. So we're going to pick up um, in our story in, in verse 31. As Jesus continues, he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am, in, that I am doing, bear witness about me, and the Father has... Uh, sorry. Sorry, I just lost my place. Give me a minute. <laughs> um, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me and the Father that has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See, Jesus given this invitation to believe is who he says he is, to follow in his ways, and to experience this beautiful, abundant life. But the Jewish leaders refuse to believe. And it's not because they don't have enough evidence. Jesus points out right here all these witnesses that he has, right? He, he mentions John the Baptist, who bore witness about him. He mentions the very works that he's done. He says that the Father is bearing witness about him. Scriptures have born witness about him. Moses himself has talked about Jesus. So we see all, all these witnesses that he's bringing forward. This idea of witness is something that is not just this theme that we see in the Gospel of John, but it's actually something that we see throughout the entire biblical narrative. The word for witness, which can also, there's you know different forms of it, which can also be bear witness, testimony, these words in, in Hebrew and Greek appear over 400 times throughout the biblical narrative. And it's about 200 times in the Old Testament and about 200 times in the New Testament. And, and interestingly, in the New Testament, of those 200 times, about a quarter of those are here in, in the Gospel of John. So this idea of witness, very simply, just means to see and experience something and then to share about it. Just like some people brought up, you know, in, in a legal sense, when you witness a crime or an accident, and you, you just seeing what you have experienced. And so in this even, even the Bible itself, testimony to God, the people who wrote these books of the Bible are witnesses, that they have experienced God in some way, sharing that, they are recording that. 
whether that's Moses as he received the law from God and wrote it down, whether that's David as he is encountering God in his praise and lament and recording that, or the prophets who, who receive a message from God and, and share that with the people of Israel, the gospel writers, most of whom were, were disciples that, that traveled around with Jesus, and now they are sharing and John even says that at the end of his gospel, he says that that's what he's doing here in, in writing this gospel, that he is bearing witness to who Jesus is. So we see, if we look throughout the, the biblical narrative, we see from the very beginning where God created humans in his own image. And the idea there was that humans would, would reflect who he was, that they would represent him in creation. So this idea of humans being made in the image of God, like we were created to be witnesses to who God is. But we know that, that much of humanity just chose to do things their own way, to seek their own glory, rather than wanting to reflect the glory of God. And so God chose a specific group of people. He chose Israel, not as a way of being exclusive, but he chose these people to be his witness to the rest of the world that the rest of the world could see who God was. And Israel failed in this. And so Jesus was sent as this ultimate witness to who God is. In fact, in Revelation 1, it says that Jesus was the faithful witness. And John's gospel develops this idea as well. We see in the prologue in, in John 1, 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has come. He, he is with God. He is God. He has come to make him known. And we see here in chapter 5 where, where Jesus talks about, he's claiming that he is, he's seen the works that the Father is doing, and he is doing those same things. That it's not just in what he's declaring. It's the way that he is living his life, the actions that he's taking that are his witness to who really beautiful like symbiotic relationship where where Jesus is witness to who God is but it also says that the father is bearing witness to Jesus later on in John in chapter 15 it's going to say that the spirit bears witness to Jesus and then we also see experience Jesus and called to witness already in the book of John we've we've seen John came to witness to who Jesus was. We saw the Samaritan woman at the well last week, um, as Nan was preaching in chapter 4, who had this encounter with Jesus, and then she went and told her town about what she experienced. And we see it even in this story, where, where there was the man that was healed by Jesus, and then he simply just shares what happened. Right? All these people are becoming witnesses to who Jesus is. And it's interesting, because Jesus, Jesus says in verse 34, it's not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. It's not that Jesus needs people to witness for him, right? He's, he's got the witness of the Father, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures. He doesn't need us to do it, but, but he has called people to be his witnesses so that others might hear that testimony and believe it as well. So here in this passage, though, we see this, this juxtaposition of there's all these Jesus's testimony, and these religious leaders, they don't. In verses 39 to 40, it says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is to bear witness about me. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
See, these Jewish leaders devoted their lives to studying scripture, to knowing it, and to following the law as strictly as they could. And so this would have led them to be the first to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. So the irony, they were the chosen among chosen ones who bear witness to who God was. Jesus is calling them out here, and he's saying that their study of Scripture hasn't really been about God's glory at all. It's been about their own glory. Searching the Scriptures, thinking that in their knowledge and their strict adherence to the law, that that's how they would experience eternal life. They used the Scriptures and the law as a way of determining status to declare who was in and who was out. And that's why they confronted Jesus in the first place about healing the Sabbath. They're trying to call Jesus out, discredit him, because they think that he is breaking the rules. But Jesus knew that showing love to someone who was hurting was much more important than the rules. And it's really what the law was supposed to lead them to. So Jesus tells them, you have missed the point. The way that they were living was bearing witness to the fact that they didn't really know the love of God. And I think that that's a sober reminder for us, that the way we live our lives bears witness to what we really believe. But there's also an invitation there, that we are called to be witnesses for Jesus. Before Jesus died, he had told his disciples um, in chapter 15 that they would bear witness about him. In Acts 8, we see the resurrected Jesus telling his disciples that they are going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then they are going to go out and be his witnesses in the world. And this is for all of us who have experienced the love and the mercy of Christ, believe that he's the true God. We are called to be a part of this community of witnesses as well. It's really cool to think about that it's we are part of this continuation of the biblical narrative. Right? In the beginning, all humans, to be witnesses. But then that didn't work out. Those chose Israel to be his special witnesses, but it was always to draw others in. Where Israel failed, Jesus was faithful. He got to all people to draw everyone in so that they could experience true life. And so that called to be part of this community of witnesses. The Bible Project talks about this idea um, as it's seen in, in Peter's writings later on, but I think it, it sums this up pretty well. They say Peter, when he writes his letter to a mixed group of Jesus' followers, applies the language of the chosen nation to them, calling them a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. In 1 Peter 2.9, he says that any of those who have received mercy from God now have the special role of declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When we join these early followers of Jesus in inviting others into the story of God's love for all people, we are also living out our identity as God's chosen people, those whose special purpose has always been to extend God's inclusive love to many. So this is what it means to be a witness. Not just that we declare what we believe with our words, but that we declare it with our lives through our character. And that often speaks so much louder than the creeds that we declare. 
I honestly believe that one of the primary reasons why so many people are turned off from God and turned off from the church is not that they simply don't want to believe, but it is because the church does not often bear witness to a God to a God who is good and faithful. So there is this, this weight and this responsibility to being witnesses of Jesus. But it's not the kind where we feel obligated to share certain spiritual laws with others in hopes of converting them. It is about being compelled by the love and mercy that we have received from God, such that we want others to experience that too. And so we live lives of love. And isn't love the most compelling testimony? So as we, as we close out our time today, I have a couple of reflection questions that I just want you to, to take with you um, and reflect on throughout the week. Those are, what is the testimony that your life is declaring? And how are you bearing witness to the love of Christ through your words, actions, and character?